So we're going to uh, read from the Bible now, and uh, as I said at the beginning, we're in a series that we started last year in the book of Isaiah, and we're getting near the end, not that that's good to be getting near the end, because it's been amazing, but we're into the last uh, few chapters. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, it's chapter 61. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, the reading will appear on the screen uh, for us, and... um, It's chapter 61 of this amazing prophecy. Um, Isaiah lived about 700 or so years before Jesus was born. And uh, the Lord spoke through him so clearly about Jesus in many ways. And this is one of those passages um, that if you know anything of the New Testament, it will resonate uh, immediately with you. So, Isaiah 61, the Spirit... Of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you'll be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord and my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. I always kind of... um, feel a bit in awe of taking on passages like this, because I wonder what more I can say, but uh, I'm going to have a go, so let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that in its pages we encounter you. We hear your voice. We thank you that your Bible is um, living, a living word that kind of runs after us and grabs hold of us. And thank you that by your spirit, you speak through it 
even today into our lives. So we pray that as we just spend time looking at this passage, we ask that you give us a fresh understanding of it and that we would hear your still small voice once again, speaking to us, to your church, to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. I kind of give titles to talks, so this, um, the title I gave to this one is Good News, okay? And I can't think of anything more wonderful than to tell people good news. Have you ever rushed to tell somebody good news? It's one of the best things you can do, isn't it? You just can't wait to get to tell them what has happened, what that situation is about. Or receiving good news, that's another amazing thing. When you receive good news, I don't know if you've had any good news uh, this week. Um, We've had good news. Our um, nearly son-in-law has been, we think, offered a job in Beirut, which is wonderful because that's where uh, our daughter will be working as well. And that's been wonderful news uh, to share. This week, we finished Alpha. And it's been my privilege, I'm the only one who's seen these, oh, Hermes seen them as well, the feedback sheets from the Alpha course. And it's just been a joy to read them, an absolute joy. Even the ones that sort of said, well, no, it wasn't quite for me, you know, but they've recognized that they're on a journey. And uh, some, when it says, what's the best thing about Alpha, food has come top again, <laughs> closely followed by my talks, second place, that's not bad, is it? How can the course be improved? That was one brilliant answer. Can we turn the heating down, please? And that was, he was a chap on my table who um, had his own kind of central heating system working, um, but found that the uh, building too warm. So we've toned it down a bit tonight, so it's a bit cooler tonight. But you know me, I do like it warm, and some of you are, are feeling cold, so sorry about that. Anyway, there was some wonderful news, and particularly those who've taken a step of faith. It was just wonderful to read. But it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to give good news and to receive good news. And what's the natural response um, to receiving good news? What's your natural response when you hear good news? Sorry? Tell somebody else. Brilliant. Absolutely. Any other responses? Someone tells you something great? Thankfulness. Oh, you're not used to doing this, are you? You're not used, you're not used to speaking to me. Joy, is that uh, praise? Oh, okay, we'll, we'll move on, don't worry. Isaiah 61 is good news. In my Bible, the actual chapter headings, and obviously Isaiah didn't write the chapter headings, he didn't write numbers and things, he just wrote the prophecy. They were added later, but it's called the year of the Lord's favor, and that sounds really good, doesn't it? A year of the Lord's favor. I mean, if, if you heard that, you'd think, wow, that's going to be brilliant. A year of the Lord's favor. But then on chapter 63, we'll pick up the day of vengeance of our God. So um, come in two weeks' time or so, and you, you'll hear a talk on that bit as well. It doesn't sound so great, does it? But our focus tonight is um, chapter 61, good news. And we have to ask at the very beginning, who is speaking? Because... There are times when we read the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah is definitely speaking. And there are other times when he actually says, the Lord is speaking. When he begins Isaiah 61, or we get to this uh, part in the scriptures, he doesn't actually introduce it. But we know it's not him who's speaking. 
It's not him who's saying these words. It is the Messiah. It begins with a speech from the servant Messiah himself, obviously speaking through Isaiah. And then in, uh, that's verses 1 to 6, and then verses 7 to 9 follows with a kind of confirmatory speech from God the Father, although he's not named either, but it says the Lord Almighty, he responds. And then in verses 10 to 11, there calls for a call of praise and worship for those who have received the good news. And that is from Isaiah, but it's also from God's people, and it's also from the church throughout the world, the nations. So verses 1 to 6, no one introduces who's speaking. Isaiah doesn't give an explanation, but the speaker speaks for himself and demands our attention. Quite unselfconsciously and without arrogance, but with tremendous authority. Who can speak these words? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's the Lord Jesus. And that's one of the most astonishing things about the prophecy of Isaiah, that he has this ear to God's heart, but also just to to allow Jesus himself to speak through him. Now, we know that this person who is speaking is the Lord. He's been introduced before in a prophecy of chapter 7, verse 14. He's been introduced as Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin will give birth to a baby boy. We'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's been introduced in chapter 11. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. And then in 42, I will put my spirit on him. He will be the servant of the Lord. So Jesus is speaking here. And he is both the servant of chapters 40 to 55 and the Messiah of chapters 1 to 35. Jesus, the anointed one who would suffer much as we've gone through in the chapters of 52, 53. He would be the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the world, but would be raised again to life. And he is the one who can proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As I was reading some of the uh, commentators about this, they were talking that this would have a, a sort of Uh, allusion to the year of Jubilee. If you've ever heard of the year of Jubilee, described in the law of Moses in Leviticus um, chapter 25. And uh, there's this amazing thing about the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year was to be proclaimed a year of the Lord's favor, a year of release, where debts would be canceled, slaves would be freed, property would be returned to their original owners. And the sadness is, that there is no clear evidence that the Jubilee was ever celebrated. It was there in the law of Moses, but it was never really celebrated for whatever reason. But here we have the arrival of 
the Messiah, the, the, the prophecy of Jesus coming to announce a time of grace of God's favor where debts would be canceled, where slaves would be freed, where property would be returned. It's a time of good news. Release, freedom, forgiveness, blessing. And there's a divine exchange of gifts. He promises comfort and provision, beauty for ashes. That's one of the themes of our Unashamed series of how God brings beauty for ashes. Joy for mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, it would have been for the original readers of Isaiah, they would have been wondering at these words. Who is this? Who's going to do all this? Who is this? How would they be fulfilled? Who was the anointed one? They'd just been released from captivity in Babylon. They were making their way back to Jerusalem, the land of promise. They had received healing and comfort in a way, but nothing like this. But because we read it from the standpoint of after Jesus has come... If, if you know anything of the New Testament, those first few verses of Isaiah 61 would be ringing in your ears, wouldn't they? And would be taken directly uh, to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter um, 4. I'm just going to read that for you. I think we've got it on the screen as well. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is astonishing. It would have been astonishing to those who heard Jesus say that. So these words that we've read from Isaiah 61 take us immediately back to that synagogue scene in Nazareth. Those of you, I know some of you, I can see some of you have been to Nazareth. And uh, you're already picturing that little synagogue church where we go to, or the first century village that we go to and visit. And you can just imagine Jesus there, going back to his hometown where he had grown up. He'd already begun his public ministry. His reputation had gone before him. News about him was spreading, about the miracles he was doing and things he was saying. And he goes to his hometown and he reads that passage from Isaiah and makes that astonishing claim today this scripture is fulfilled. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the savior of the world. He fulfills the whole of the Old Testament. All 39 books of the Old Testament, all 929 chapters of the Old Testament, all 23,145 verses. I didn't count them. I got that from Google. Written by over 30 authors over more than 1,000 years, Jesus says, It's all fulfilled in him. 
And at his baptism and temptation, he obediently takes that path of suffering servant for the world. And he knew that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He is the fulfillment of the Jubilee that was never celebrated. Debts cancelled, prisoners freed. The year of the Lord's favour, declared, announced, inaugurated, and still in force today. Still in force over the last weeks of Alpha. Jesus is continuing to save and set free. Still in force for us as we pray for our friends and our families who don't know Jesus yet or who know something of him but haven't experienced his grace. And we look forward to that time of Jesus' return, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. And yes, there will be that day of judgment and the day of vengeance of our God, but not yet. And it's interesting if you note, when, when we read the passage from Luke, that Jesus stops the quote, doesn't he? He doesn't read the whole of that passage from Isaiah 61. He stops at the year of the Lord's favor because that's who he is. And until he returns, that's, it's the year of the Lord's favor. Until Jesus returns, there is opportunity for anyone, everyone to be saved. Everybody to be forgiven. Everybody to have a new life. And, and I do just find that interesting that he stops in that part. His coming marks that time, that season, that age. The Christian gospel is good news. In fact, gospel means good news. And I sometimes think that we, we have become more apologetic for the gospel rather than just saying, this is good news. As we would share any other piece of good news. This is good news. What's happened to me is good news. I've met Jesus and he's turned my life around. I've been forgiven. I have the hope of eternal life. And I think perhaps we need to just regain that confidence in the gospel. Is just, it's just good news. It's good news for everybody. And it will be preached to the ends of the earth. Good news to the poor. Not for just those who grieve in Zion, but poor in spirit everywhere. Comfort, not just for release from those in exile, but comfort for all who mourn. Release from condemnation, from the power of sin and death. Beauty, not ashes. Joy, not mourning. Praise, not despair. That's good news. We have that hope in our hearts. All through God's grace. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough. We just have to receive it. And then he says, through God's grace, we who receive that will become a display of his splendor. Have you ever thought of yourself as a Christian? You're, you're, you're on display as a display of the Lord's splendor, of his grace. Now, I know we'd probably say, well, I'm not a great advert for Jesus. But we are. We're saved. No one can take that away. We've been forgiven. We are accepted by God. We're loved. We are on display as a sort of case study in what he does. The Messiah speaks. And then in verses 7 to 9, it's, it's as if, that's how I read it, as if the Father almost speaks back. 
I, the Lord, as if the father sings an encore over his beloved son, the Messiah, as he he promised to respond to the shame and disgrace and the indignity of the cross, because the suffering servant will be shamed. The The cross was humiliating, that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. Yet the father would respond by giving him such an inheritance, which is talking about believers around the world. His people. There's a passage in Philippians where Paul uh, kind of responds to this. He says, therefore God exalts him to the highest place, Jesus. Gives him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. It's through that suffering that Jesus brings glory. Through the suffering he brings forgiveness. Through the suffering he brings salvation to the world. A new covenant has been made in his blood. That's why he says when he shares that meal with his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. This is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Yes, there will come a day of justice and the Lord is faithful and just. Grace and justice are not incompatible in the hands of God. But all who encounter his grace will wonder at it. So Messiah speaks There's a response from the Lord God, the Father. And then it's as if Isaiah begins to speak. Verses 10 uh, to 11. On behalf of the redeemed, he begins to sing. That's the natural response to such good news. Thanks and praise. And as Nikki said, to pass it on to others as well. We who are clothed in garments of salvation, we who are dressed in robes of righteousness, how can we not respond by worshipping the one who has loved us and given his life for us? And so as we look at this passage, our only response is to come before God again and to worship him, thanking him, to remember the great truths of our salvation, to exalt the Lord who is worthy of praise that we ourselves may be lost in wonder, love, and praise, but also a challenge for us to be good news wherever we go. Because we're representing the King. Because we're representing Jesus. To see yourself, how can I be good news in this situation? How can I bring good news to this situation? So let's just pray together and then I'm going to invite the band back as we make a response of praise and worship. Father God, we thank you for this amazing passage in the Bible. We thank you that it speaks of your amazing grace towards us. And thank you, Jesus, that when you stood up in that synagogue in Nazareth and read those words, you knew that you were the fulfillment of those. And for everyone who would believe in you, everyone who would trust in you, you would receive and accept and give the gift of eternal life. There would be freedom for the captives. There would be release for the prisoners. There would be good news for the poor. So Lord, as we come and begin to sing our songs of praise. We want to draw near to you. And we want to say to you that we want to be changed by you. 
We don't want to be religious people. We just don't want to be just churchy people. We want to be more like you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that in one way we can say these words too because you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we can be good news. And Lord, we pray that you would just put your hand upon us that wherever we are tomorrow morning in our workplace or at home, that we would just be good news. That we would bring something of your love and your grace to bear upon the situations that we face. That we would respond to things in a different spirit because we're filled with your spirit. And Lord, as we are salt and light that you promised, that you'd bring change and transformation in our circumstances and in our midst and to the people that we meet. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to just to move amongst us, to inhabit our praises, to fill us afresh, to bring assurance if we need it, to bring hope if we need it, to bring challenge if we need it. So we just open our hearts to you now begin to worship you, would you move amongst us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.